Inspiration. Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Zig Ziggler wants you to be your best. Welcome to Zig Ziglar's Inspire Podcast. This is your host, Blake Lindsay. I really like this series right now as we're currently listening to Zig Ziglar's Sunday School Lessons. Today, he'll share a formula for success. Turn it up loud. We'll listen to Zig together. Now, some of you know this. Uh, one of my favorite books of all time is Anguished English. How many of you have read uh, one of the Anguished English books? <laughs> this is from more Anguished uh, English boo-boos in churches, for example. The Israelites made a golden calf because they didn't have enough gold to make a cow. (laughs) Oh, and uh, the first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. (laughs) Oh, and uh, the fifth commandment is humor thy father and mother. (laughs) Oh, and... uh, The seventh commandment is thou shalt not admit adultery. (laughs) And uh, Joshua led the Hebrews in their victory in the battle of Jericho. (laughs) Truth is still stranger and funnier than fiction, isn't it? Uh, Solomon had 200 wives and 700 cucumbers. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, I... (laughs) Uh, so many people think Christians are supposed to walk around with long faces and short pocketbooks, but really that's not in the Bible. Christians are supposed to have fun. As a matter of fact, uh, the two uh, shortest verses in the Bible to talk about our human emotions, uh, Paul tells us, rejoice always. Two words. The Bible says, Jesus wept. Isn't it interesting that the two shortest verses in the Bible have that wide range of emotions. We are human. We are to laugh. We are to cry. That's part of us as God's creation. Now, this is the fourth lesson, winning with a balanced life. The first lesson was, what is success? The second one was, employment security in a no-job security world. The third one is recognizing, developing, and using uh, your gifts or assets. The fourth one today is a formula for success. Legend has it that fire, water, and trust were asked by this elderly gentleman as they headed into a desolate area. He said, now, if I need to get to you, if an emergency arises and I need to find you, how can I find you? Fire said, just look for smoke, because where there's smoke, there's going to be fire. Water said, look for beautiful flowers and uh, green, lush grass, because where there's water, there is life. Trust said, you better keep your eye on me, because if you ever lose me, I'm awfully hard to find. Sometimes, never again, can I be found. So what I'm really saying is there is trust is something important. It is hard to regain. It's hard to find. Let me tell you something else that's hard to find in our society today, and that's shame. I looked up the word shame in my trusty 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. It's a painful sensation excited by consciousness of guilt, having done something which damages reputation. 
Hence, it is often or always manifested by a downcast look called confusion of face, dishonor, disgrace. Now, why is reputation so important? Uh, Laurel Cutter, vice chairman of FCB Lieberkett's partner, said, values determine behavior, behavior determines reputation, reputation determines advantages, and advantages determines our acceptance. Do we get the mate of our choice? Do we get admission into the clubs that we want to be admitted to? And looking at your faces today, something tells me that most of you really believe that my overhead is completely fouled up. (laughs) Am I right about that? Okay. Well, I got news for you, folks. It is not completely fouled up. It is simply a little out of focus. Does that make it a whole lot better? Now, the reality, the problem with most people in their lives is they get confused when they think it's all fouled up. The reality is most of us simply have lost our focus. Focus, our genius, has been described as the ability to focus exclusively on the issue at hand. And when we begin to focus on things which really are important, then we can accomplish so much more. But when you look at the word shame, isn't it a shame that shame is virtually non-existent in our society today? We do things today, we say things today, we act in ways today that are so shameful and yet uh, everybody is using the everybody does it bit of logic, you know. And there are many people who are Christians who say, well, I know that a loving God will forgive me. Let me tell you something, folks. When you get in the habit of deliberately sinning, knowing that you're going to then seek forgiveness, What that says is you really do not trust Christ to protect you from those sins. And when you do not have that trust, then the question arises, are you totally certain that you know him? Now, if you're not totally certain of that, you see, there's your ticket, there's your ticket into eternity. But what have we been done? We've been conditioned to believe something. Hollywood and the TV has taught us, they've inundated us actually with examples of how to solve our problems or vent our frustrations. Now, I challenge you, if you think I overstate this, if you happen to be watching the income suppressant, which some people identify as TV, if you spend a lot of time watching the income suppressant, a morality destroyer, then I challenge you just to count the number of times that frustration and anger is vented by simply one of several things. We either hit somebody, we shoot somebody, we take a drink, or we hop in bed. Now, you count the times this week that that happens. Now, the question is, do those things solve problems or do those things create problems? I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that they create problems. Now, what is the solution? That's what everybody wants to hear. What is the solution? What's the solution for you? Well, it's in two combined verses, Hebrews 13, 8. And instead of looking it up, since it's just a few short words, what I'm going to do is simply tell you what it says. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
There's something that is unchangeable. Now, morality can change in our society, but Jesus never changes. And you might say, well, suppose I've already done something that uh, God can't forgive. Well, I've got good news for you. You're not capable of doing that. Now, I don't mean to put you down, but my friend, you simply are not capable of sinning in a way that God cannot forgive you. I can say that with confidence because I know that nobody would sit in this room today or ever listen to this recording who uh, has blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You just would not be here. So let's see what God says about those who commit their lives to him. How long is the relationship going to last? Well, here's what he tells us in the book of Romans in the 8th chapter, the 13th verse, starting there, 35th verse, I'm sorry. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are cold or in danger or threatened with death? Will that separate us? And then he answers it, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Christ is our eternal lawyer. Now, Satan uh, accuses us, and Christ defends us. And thus far, he's never lost a single case. How would you like to have an attorney here on earth like that? Somebody who never loses a case. Well, that might not be a good thing, because we were watching uh, the Income Suppressor this week, one of the news uh, shows, where it talked about this judge who'd been a good judge all of his life, but he was bribed. The lawyer who uh, represented the mafia, the mob, the lawyer never lost a case because he would always bribe the judges. This particular judge uh, appeared to be about 60, 70 years old. You know how some of these old folks are. You can't really tell how old they are. Well, uh, the judge uh, was bribed. It later was revealed. His career was destroyed. Now, the attorney never lost a case But that's not the way Christ wins his cases. He wins the cases because his shed blood at Calvary washed our sins away. And any time Satan accuses, Christ our defender says, Now, Father, you know, I've already paid that debt. It's a done deal. My blood washed that one away. And Paul goes ahead to say, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't. And the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, folks, I, uh, the redhead and I had four children We love our children. Now, sometimes the fellowship has been casually strained with each one of them. Just casually, I'm grateful to be able to say that. The relationship, there never was a doubt about it. My son sits in front of me today. It doesn't make any difference what he does. He will always be my son. My daughters will always be my daughters. I will always be Christ's child. 
I committed my life to him. He's in me. I'm in him. He will always be my father. I will always be his child. Now, I might break fellowship, and I'll probably talk about that again in a few minutes, but the relationship itself will never be changed. Now, a lot of times people say, yeah, well, now I have tried everything. One of my favorite little stories is the story of the Christian chess master who was watching a painting of a chess game between Satan and a young man. And the young man had that total look of despair as the devil was saying, checkmate, meaning it's all over. I've won. You have lost. You might as well pick up and leave because I'm the winner. Well, this great chess master was watching the scene, and he watched it intently and intently, and finally not realizing that, uh, I mean, he got so involved in it, all of a sudden, and there were several people around who heard him say this, you still have one more move. We all have one more move. We can always move to Christ. doesn't make any difference what that past has been. We've always got that one more move that we can make. Now, so many people, ladies and gentlemen, do have those wrong ideas about what it is to be a Christian. I talked about it a moment ago. My favorite story about what it really means is the story of the mama skunk and the three baby skunks going by the paper mill. How many of you have ever been close to a paper mill? Okay, you'll get the drift of this. One of the uh, baby skunks sniffed the air and filled its nostrils with that pungent paper mill odor and said, Mama, what on earth is that? And the mama skunk sniffed the air and filled her nostrils with that pungent paper mill odor and said, I don't know, but we've sure got to get some of that. (laughs) Now, you see, I believe Christians ought to be that way. I believe people ought to look at us and they ought to see us, uh, see that joy in us. That's the reason I love to hear Vicky sing so much. That joy just absolutely comes bursting forth. I like to be around people who have that joy in them. And all of us are the same way. You know, you get, you get in the company of some people, uh, and, 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 you know, and after, after a time, you believe in retroactive birth control. I mean, they're the, uh, you, you know, the, the kind of people that, that you really just don't enjoy being around. But when people are around a Christian, they ought to be able to say, I don't know what that man's got, or I don't know what that woman has got, but whatever it is, I want to get me some of that. We've been talking about claiming the qualities of success. One of my favorite stories concerned a a gentleman named Niccolo Paganini, born in 1782. He died in 1840. He was one of the most renowned violinists of his time and is still recognized as one of the great violinists of all time. Once at a sold-out performance... He uh, was introduced, he walked on stage to a standing prolonged ovation. And as he lifted his violin, all of a sudden the horrible thought hit him, the realization that he had mistakenly picked up someone else's violin. Now, I'm not a musician of any kind. As a matter of fact, I can't even tell high and low and flat and sharp and all that kind of stuff. I I still remember the first day I joined the church when the preacher preached on the fact nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're to make a beautiful noise to the Lord. It always says make a joyful noise. Now, I can do that, Uh, you know. uh, Some of you old folks might remember uh, Mitch Miller 
You know, Miss Miller once wrote me a letter asking me not even to bother to sing along with. Now, but on this one, uh, make a joyful noise. I can do that, okay, even though my children ask that I not do it, uh, even in church. Uh, but nevertheless, Nicolini Paganini uh, was an interesting man. When he realized that he had somebody else's violin, he almost panicked. But he determined to do the very best he could, give it everything he had. And he gave the performance of his life. He said when it was over, he realized for the first time, the music was not in the violin. The music was in him. Nat King Cole, famous for such a great musical talent, got his career start not as a singer but as a piano player. They were playing a little club out on the West Coast. The singer got sick. The club owner said, no singer, no money. That's the night Nat King Cole became a singer. And as the saying goes, the rest is history. Now, you might not can carry a tune, as I cannot carry a tune. But God has put an awful lot of music in you. And the objective of the encouragers class is to bring the music out that is in, to make you realize that you are something enormously special in God's sight. That's the reason I have said so many times, every morning and every night, and you remember the Birmingham lady story, who changed from a dislike of her job to a love of her job because she started looking for the good in the job. When we start claiming these qualities with this self-talk, it is absolutely amazing how differently you will see yourself. If every morning and every night for 30 days you will claim these qualities, amazing things will happen during the 30 days. It won't even take 30 days. Then how long do you keep going? Only as long as you want to enjoy the benefits. Now, when you get tired of the benefits that come with being confident and competent and motivated and excited and enthusiastic and organized and responsible, when you get tired of the benefits that go with all that, then you just quit doing it. But let me tell you why you got to keep it going. In Charleston, South Carolina, a number of years ago, they recognized that the city was moving in a specific direction. And there was a huge city dump out there that had been started uh, right after the War of Northern Aggression, referred to in some history books as the Civil War. But anyhow, it depends on what part of the, uh, uh, the country you know you're, you're from, all right? Now, they started the garbage dump there, and I don't need to tell you, it's pretty big. Matter of fact, it was huge. Well, they concocted a plan, and the plan was very simple. They were going to start hauling every time they built a new building. They would take the excavated dirt, haul it out, and dump it on the old garbage dump. They hauled thousands and thousands of tons of dirt out there. They got these big, uh, heavy, earth-rolling uh, machines, and they packed it, and they packed it, and they packed it, and they packed it. And finally, one day, the architect said, Hey, it's ready. Now let's build a shopping center. And they did. But the shopping center really is built on garbage, isn't it? See, the reality is Christ can build a magnificently successful life on the garbage we bring to him. Why? Because he covers the garbage with his blood. Then if he covers it with his blood, that takes care of our sins. But what about our daily contact, our, our daily lives? 
Well, you see, the basic problem is you leave church, you listen to this message, you're all excited and you're all motivated and the garbage is buried. But you go out there and boom, boom, somebody dumps a couple of fresh loads of garbage right there and you're perfectly clean mind. So what do you do there? Well, you got to work on the new garbage because it too will build up otherwise. Now, the negatives are around us. One study revealed that 80% of all of the input in our mind on a regular basis is of a negative nature. So unless we deliberately seek the positive, the negative over a period of time will outweigh the positive. So we got to keep refreshing it. You just got to remember, you can't make an overdraft on the bank of right mental attitude all of your life, then permanently bring the account up to date with one deposit in Sunday morning services. You just can't do it. You got to keep making those deposits in order for our attitudes to remain, uh, you know, where they are, where they should be all times. Now, a lot of times people look at these qualities and they say, well, boy, you know, those are some fabulous qualities. Yes, they are. Every one of them are biblical qualities. And God, as I said in an earlier lesson, has planted the seeds of those qualities. Every seed in every quality is already in you. You can absolutely count on that. Now, why are those qualities important? Well, I've been beating the bushes a fair amount of time, and so far... I have never had an employer say to me, well, Zig, you know, I appreciate you sending that young woman to me for a job or that young man to me for a job. But Zig, there's something you've got to understand. We don't have any place in our company for somebody who's honest and intelligent, who sets goals and is organized, who accepts responsibility and is committed. We just can't use anybody like that. In every single case, you know what they repeatedly said to me? You send me somebody with those qualities and I will teach them the skill they need to have in order to handle this job. Now, folks, that brings up a very significant point. Because even with all of these wonderful qualities, you still got to have something else if you're going to make it in life. On December the 1st, I get aboard an aircraft to go to Jacksonville, Florida. It is my fervent hope that the captain, the pilot of that aircraft, knows how to fly airplanes. Now, he can be honest and intelligent and sincere and responsible and committed and thrifty and resourceful. He can be all of those things. But if he doesn't know how to fly that airplane, I ain't going to get on that sucker. You can absolutely count on it. The next time I go to see uh, my doctor, it is my fervent hope that he graduated number one in his class at medical school. You know what they call the one who graduated last in his class at medical school? They call him Dr. Two. (laughs) Or is it Dr. Also? I hope the one that works on me graduated number one, not number 741. I really do, okay? When I take my car in to see the mechanic, I really do hope that he knows how to fix cars. Now, I also hope he's all of these other things. That'll make him a better car fixer, but he's got to have the skill to go with it. All of that to say that with all of these wonderful character qualities... Then, ladies and gentlemen, we still have to learn the specific skills that we need to know in order for us to achieve the success, develop what God has gifted us with in the beginning. Now, one study was done by the Thomas Jefferson Research Center in Pasadena, California. They did a study of all of the outstanding civilizations and religions since the beginning of time. It goes back a long time. 
and they found there are 15 qualities that all of them have. Now, Christianity obviously has an awful lot more, and most of the others also have a whole lot more. The difference is, you know, Christianity is not a religion. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But the 15 qualities common to all are wisdom, integrity, love, freedom, justice, courage, humility, patience, industriousness, thriftiness, generosity, objectivity, cooperation, moderation, and optimism. Yes, with all of these things, you must have also the qualities we've been talking about are common in society. Now, one of the reasons that I think so hard and strong and long and spend so much time talking about qualities is because you're looking at a portrait of life right there in front of you. What that portrait shows is a young man uh, climbing uh, to the top. Now, we never start right here at the bottom and go straight to the top. But we go up and come down and we go higher, then we come lower, and then finally we go up to the top. That's life. Thus far, I've never met a human being who is enormously successful who did not have some difficulties along the way. Now, here's an interesting uh, thing about life. When you're at the very bottom right here and when you're at the very top up there is when you need the most help. That's right, you heard it right. When you're at the very bottom or when you're at the very top, that's when you need the most help. Now, here's been my observation. I very frequently, when the people get down here, I very frequently hear them say, Why me? Why did my husband or why did my wife walk out on me? Why did I have this accident? It was not my fault. Why was I afflicted with this disease? It was not my fault. Why did they fire me? I was a good person. The Birmingham lady story again comes to mind. Why did all of these bad things happen to me? We hear it all the time. Thus far, I have heard very, very few people say when they get up to the very top, Why me, Lord? Why did you choose such a wonderful mate for me? Why me, Lord? Why did you put me in this particular position? Why me, Lord? Why did you send that big sale to me? Lord, now you know good and well I don't deserve it. Why did you send it to me? They never or almost never say those things. They say, well, you know, I've been working awful hard and I've been studying my lessons and all that sort of stuff and I've, I've always tried to do the right thing and that's the reason I get these things now. Folks, i got news for you. When you're at the very bottom and when you're at the very top are the two areas where you're going to need the most help. This is where we need encouragement. But let me tell you something, and I'll have to confess, I have never, even one time in my life, said, Lord, you know what I really wish you'd do? I wish you'd send me some serious problems. I mean, you know, I just had it too good. Uh, Send me some trouble, Lord. That's what I really want. Maybe I should, though. Because when you're in the valley, you see, and uh, this is uh, right out of what God has to say. It's in Romans 5, 3, and 4. This is what God has to say. He says that problems produce patience. And patience produces persistence. Persistence produces character. Character produces hope. Hope produces power. Now, I would not uh, presume to expand on the Word of God, but... Personal experience tells me also that persistence also produces creativity. 
It is when you're down in the valley, it's when you're down here uh, that your character begins to show. And the character is what keeps you going. Character is the ability to carry out a good resolution long after the excitement of the moment passes. So you come to church to get inspired. You leave here and you get tempted. Well, your character is on test right then and there. Character is the ability to carry out a good resolution long after the excitement of the moment has passed. And when you're down here, that character begins to show. It's wonderful if you have somebody with skin on them to encourage you. But David didn't have that, and what he said said was very simple. I encouraged myself in the Lord. If nobody else is around, the Lord is around. Some of you have heard me say many times, uh, on uh, many occasions, my schedule is very, very demanding. I get absolutely physically exhausted. And I always think in terms of Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Many times when I've been out running before Dr. Cooper started everybody to walk in, uh, I'd set an objective to run uh, this particular distance. And and sometimes the last uh, mile or so, I was very, very tired. And I would start claiming that verse. And it's amazing the number of times that God re-energized me and enabled me to finish the same in talking. I had a, a week here, three or four weeks ago, that no sane human being would have attempted. There's no way I could have been as strong when I finished as I had been when I started. And that was true. I was stronger at the finish than I was when I started. It defies human understanding, and that's one of the great things about having faith in Christ. He provides what we need. Now, let me also point out that what I'm getting at with this success formula, uh, which I uh, said I was going to talk about in the beginning, is really very, very simple. Everything starts with attitude. It really does. But attitude is not everything. We need to understand that. These people who say, man, with positive thinking, you can just do anything, they're just flat wrong. That is not the way life is. When I was in the seventh grade, I went out for the boxing team. I weighed a big old lady, two and a half pounds. The kid closest to me weighed 62 pounds, little Joe Stringer. I just knew I'd kill him. I mean, you know, wasn't going to be any contest there. But what I didn't realize was that he had uh, been out for the boxing team the last two years. But you see, I was a playground gladiator. I fought everything that moved, and I knew I wasn't going to have any trouble with little Joe. But what I didn't realize was two things. Number one, he was a math major, and number two, he had been out for the boxing team in the last two years. Well, there's a lot of difference in fighting according to the rules inside of a small square versus out on the schoolyard. Though in those days, we settled everything with our fists. Nobody thought about picking up a stick or a knife or certainly not a gun. But being a math major, little Joe figured out in about two and a half seconds uh, that the shortest distance to the end of my nose was a straight lift jab. He was good at math. He also thought I was a slow learner because two seconds later, he'd figured it out again and again and again and again. Well, I very quickly realized I just flat didn't have time to go out for the boxing team. I mean, I was busy. Now, more than my feelings were getting hurt. 
Coach Fermenta, fortunately, was a man of compassion and mercy, so he put a stop to it at the end of the round, and the rounds were just two minutes for kids that age. And then he started teaching me how to defend myself, how when I threw a punch to protect myself from that, how to slip and how to roll, how to parry. He started teaching me those things. Well, about three weeks later, I started hitting little Joe some. And I quickly learned that the hit or has more fun than the hit E. Uh, you know, by the end of the boxing season, because I weighed so much more, and that's a tremendous weight advantage of that size, I was winning the fights. Now, I started the fight optimistic, enthusiastic, highly motivated, very positive, and I was about to get killed. Now, I went on to a very successful boxing career. As a matter of fact, it's going to sound like I'm bragging, but I'm not. Uh, just facts are facts. The worst I ever finished was second. <laughs> and the last guy I fought, I, I mean, I scared that sucker half to death. I, I mean, he thought he'd kill me. But anyhow, uh, the uh, <laughs> reason, only reason I quit boxing was because of my hands. The referee kept stepping on them. Well, anyhow, now all that to say, attitude will take you so far And with the right attitude, you will learn the skills. See, that's important. Everything starts with the attitude, then you'll acquire whatever skill it is. Whether the skill is how to better treat your mate or your child or your employee or your neighbor or anybody else, start with the right attitude, you can learn the right skill. But you can have the right skill and the wrong attitude, and it'll be disastrous. December 29th, 1989, Tom and I, my son, were in Phoenix. We'd been playing in a golf tournament. That day, and the weather was beautiful for the tournament, but heading back, it was awful. It was hailing, and uh, we got soaking wet, unloading our baggage, uh, getting into the airport. Airport was crowded. We got down to the uh, departure gate. There was a long line, and every one of them was in a foul mood. Computers had uh, gone astray. Uh, The flight was going to be delayed, and they were really taking it out on the hapless gate agent. When we first got in line, he was a fair-skinned blonde. Uh, By the time we got to him, he was a flaming redhead. I mean, he got madder and madder and madder and madder, and and it really was. It moved all the way. You could watch it moving up to, uh, to the color of his hair. Well, I mean, everybody blamed him for the weather. They blamed him for the computer foul up, for the traffic delays. They even blamed him for the local economy. We got to him. It looked like he had just had some M&Ms melt in his hands or, you know, he'd gotten some junk mail post as due. Something bad had happened to him. As is my custom, I stepped up to him and I said, well, how you doing? With considerable sarcasm, he said, compared to who? I said, compared to that person who doesn't have a job of any kind. Compared to those people who don't have nice warm clothes to wear and a beautiful building to work in. Compared to those people who have no future they can plan for and call their own. Compared to those people who live in countries where there's no freedom of speech or travel or worship. I said, how you doing? Are you talking about a dramatic change in a human being? The guy grins like he'd walk through a swinging door on somebody else's push. I mean, uh, he was excited. He said, I'm doing wonderfully well, and thank you very much for reminding me. The guy got so excited, the change was so dramatic, he moved my son and me up to first class. I mean, that was was an instant change. And uh, I noticed the next few people, we stood there and listened, that he dealt with, he dealt with a very courteous, very enthusiastic, an entirely different human being. Now, let me emphasize a point. 
He already knew how to operate the computers. He already knew everything about, he needed to know about his job. But his attitude was destroying every bit of training and knowledge which he had. How many of you believe as a result of a 30-second conversation, he immediately uh, attained a degree of job security, which he was in danger of losing if he had continued where he was? Can I see your hands, please? All right. Now, how many of you believe that as a direct result of that 30-second conversation, that he is still highly motivated, very enthusiastic, he has had no difficulty since, and consequently, for the rest of his life, he's going to have the right attitude? Ain't no way. That's not even being real, is it? No, what he's got to do is he's got to have somebody else be telling him and he's got to have encouragement for others. How many of you believe when he got home that night, he's probably a better husband and father if he was married? Can I see your hand? Didn't teach him a single thing about being a better husband or a better father. Now, the economy had not changed, the weather had not changed, nothing had changed, but when he changed, everything changed. And my message is very, very clear, I hope, and that is that when you change, then everything around you changes. Typical person in a lifetime will influence either negatively or positively over 10,000 people. Now, that's an awful lot of people. You have a first responsibility to yourself. As you've heard me say and will hear me say in virtually every other class, you've got to be the right kind of person you got to do the right thing in order to acquire all of the good things which life has to offer. And it really does begin with you. Now, the bottom part of the formula, right attitude plus the right skills, built on a character foundation. You check the records and you will discover that all of your great failures in life are character failures. You think about Gary Hart, for example, leading candidate for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. Character flaw. Killed him. Uh, Jim Wright, uh, you know, the most powerful man in our Congress. Uh, Character problem. He had to resign. Jimmy Baker, we know his problems. Right here in Dallas, one of the great tragedies, I believe, in uh, several years. Yvonne Gonzalez, brilliant woman, Worked hard all of her life to become superintendent of education. Had some wonderfully innovative ideas. Was making a wonderful salary, but she wanted more temptation. And she ended up uh, getting some furniture and having the district pay for it. Character problems. Jimmy Swaggart, uh, you know, Marv Albert, the senator from Washington who was kicked out because of his uh, sexual advances and harassment of women. Dan Rostenskowski, one of the most powerful men in Congress, as a result of uh, his character flaws, lost not only his prestige, but lost his job, lost his freedom. Now, all of this to say, uh, folks, and I will constantly remind you of this, because we don't really need to be told, we do need to be reminded there are certain things that we all want. Everybody wants to be happy. They want to be healthy. They want to be at least reasonably prosperous and secure. They want to have friends and peace of mind and good family relationships and hope. Now ask yourself the question, how many of these things can I have without character? Can I really be happy? Can I really be emotionally healthy? Can I really maintain my prosperity? Now, remember, you can make money without a lick of character. We see that happening all the time. But what about the other things? How secure will you be always looking over your shoulder? How many friends will you have if you can't be trusted? How much peace of mind will you have? 
It's my conviction that real peace of mind comes only when we have resolved once and for all that question of eternity. Because everybody believes there is a God. Everybody. Research conclusively proves it. Brown trucking uh, in Atlanta, Georgia for years did lie detector tests when they were illegal on everybody that applied for a job. They had over 100 outlets all over the country. One of the questions they asked was, do you believe there is a God? And in 100% of the cases, when they said no, the needle just went all over the page. Deep down, everybody does believe there is a God. And we know that something is going to happen to us when we die. We want to be absolutely certain that our eternity is absolutely secure in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage us to memorize some scriptures so that we can claim those verses during those days that we need them. Until next week, this is Blake Lindsay encouraging you to live your life to the fullest. Ziggler. Ziggler. Inspiring true performance.